We're jumping into the book of Revelation. Um, if you really want to dig in with us while we go through this, several things you can think about. <clears throat> Ed Heinsohn has done a great book on Revelation, and his goal, I think he has four PhDs and seven master's degrees, he said his goal is to give an oversight, to make it comprehensible to. And uh, it's a great book. It's not torturous. Um, great. I, I, he's a friend. I talked to him last week for about an hour, just what we're headed into, what's going on in the world, his thoughts. And But his little commentary on Revelation is just great. He also has, and I think we keep it in the bookstore, and the bookstore is going to shoot me today because of no warning on this. But he also did, I think, a one-hour DVD. It's called Revelation in One Hour. It's overseeing, so you can watch that and really just get an overview of the book and get a picture of it. Those of you who want to torture yourself, and I always do that. To me, it's fun. Uh, but Robert Thomas, to me, I mean, I, I must have read 30, 40 commentaries on Revelation, and I have lots of them, and... His, if I was just going to read one again, for me to come here and teach, but I mean, if you just really want to be a student, Robert Thomas, it's two volumes. The language is there. The history is there. The culture is there. The, you know, just everything's, everything's there. So I'm reading a lot of different places, and I'm narrowing down to it. Because I'm a bookworm and a tapeworm. So I'm narrowing down to, you know, just a few things again. But I can never put down Robert Thomas. I've used him before. Just great. So that's just information for you. Uh, we are here to jump into this book. How many of you have never studied Revelation with us before? I know a few of you are not being honest because the last time I taught it was 14 years ago. <laughs> Some of you were in diapers then. I know you didn't study Revelation with us. And just think how the world has changed. And isn't it interesting that we're getting here now? I mean, you look what's going on in the world around us, and it's not coincidence. It takes 14 years to get to Revelation in 2020. And you don't plan that. Uh, I was talking to Malcolm, the wild, the pastor down in, uh, in Florida, in Merritt Island, the Calvary there. And I said, what are you teaching now? He said, I'm just finishing Jude this week, and next Sunday I start Revelation. <laughs> I said, funny thing. I said, us too, you know, we're going to do that. And he said, I'm going to hold off a week so I can steal everything from you. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, it's plagiarism if you steal from one person. If you steal from 12, it's research. <laughs> just never made sense to me. But uh, I said, if you steal from me, it's because I stole from everybody else and saved you time. <clears throat> but this is a great study. It's a great book. It begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. Four words in English, three words in the Greek. And it gives us the title and the scope of the book in these first three verses. So let's read the first three verses. And then we'll back up and go through them. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants... Things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, 
and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, reason for the time is at hand. So it lays kind of an intro down, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's from the Greek word apocalypsis. We get apocalypse, you know. And it's interesting. People from all different strains of life are interested in Revelation. It's the most famous apocalyptic book that's ever been written. People all over the world want to know what to say, what to say. You know, years ago, Jerry and I were out with somebody from the Graham organization, and they said, you know, every world leader since Winston Churchill has asked Billy Graham about Armageddon and the end of the world. Because you get to that where you, where you hear more than you want to hear. You understand that the world's held together with scotch tape and rubber bands and that it could go at any time. So the world, even the unsafe world, interested. You know, that's why they have all these supermarket tabloids when you leave. You know, Gene Dixon, all this weird stuff, you know, making stuff up. And uh, again, my favorite one was the psychic hotline in Florida when it shut down and said they never saw it coming. You know. Well, we can see it coming. We have an accurate record. We know what's going to happen. And when people hear apocalypse, they think, uh, you know, you don't say people, the apocalypse, that's Armageddon, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, Well, apocalypse just mean, is just the, the word we get a revelation from. It means an unveiling and uncovering. Was there a famous painting or a famous statue? They pull the cover off to show it to everybody. That's what this is. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's the four horsemen of the revelation. They're, they're revealed. As uh, soon as we go in, the scholars start to argue, is it the revelation of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, or is it the revelation from Jesus Christ? Yes. <laughs> Believe me, I read them yesterday till I had to take aspirin and my head was falling off. It, 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 he is both because he's both the teacher and the subject. He's, he's both the teacher and the subject. This was passed from God, this revelation to Jesus, to the angel, to John, to us this morning. Here we are. And, and Jesus, yes, this is the unveiling of Jesus. Not to be confusing. People, oh, the book of Revelations is so weird. You know what I mean? No, no, that's not. It's supposed to be. It's the, the, the apocalypse, the unveiling insinuates there was something that used to be covered or hidden. This is bringing it out in the open. Because there's confusion because, look, most of the church doesn't study. If you go to, you know, people who grew up in the church here think this is normal. Then they go to college, they go away, and they try to go to church. Well, no, where's a, where's a Bible teaching church? Here we are back home. You know, this is, this is not the norm across the country, to open a book of the Bible and go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And Satan, if there's two books he confuses, it's Genesis and Revelation. Because that will tell us our origin and our destiny. And if you understand origin and destiny, then you'll understand better how to live between those two points. Satan hates both of them because it's also his origin and destiny. We found out how he fell, and we found out where he's going in the end. And, uh, you know, we're going to find we study through. He can't change 666 to 667. You know, it's nailed down. In fact, it says here, these are things that must come to pass. 
Get your concordance and see how many times through the book of Revelation it says must. So these are certain. This is the unveiling. First of all, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Look, when you study the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, it says the church, New Testament things were hid to a degree in the Old Testament. So you hear Daniel in chapter 7 talk about the one who's coming to set up the kingdom. You hear about Daniel in chapter 2 talking about the kingdoms of this world and the rock will cut without hands coming and destroying. So there are insinuations and pictures of the Messiah. Then, of course, we have Jesus Christ. And then watching his life through the Gospels in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, he talks about his return, the, the last things. But this is the place where it's all culminated. 404 verses, 278 of them make reference to the Old Testament. This is the index of the Bible. This gathers all of Daniel, gathers the teachings Jesus gave. Everything's pulled together and gathered here. And Jesus Christ is revealed in relation to all those. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ in relationship to prophecy, in relationship to the churches, in relationship to heaven, in relationship to the angels, in relationship to the great tribulation, in relationship to the rapture of the church, in relationship to Babylon, in relationship to Satan, in relationship to the millennial kingdom, in relationship to the new heavens and new earth and the holy city. This is the unveiling of Jesus, not just prophetic weird things. It's the unveiling of Jesus in relationship to all of those things. <clears throat> and the, the grammar also indicates this. It is the revelation from Jesus. It was his to give. He passed it. So he, he then both is the revealer and the revelation. He's both the teacher and the lesson. Remarkably, as we go into this, there's so much of him to see as we journey in. So the title of the book, it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, his unveiling. Look, and the days that we're living in, who'd have ever thought, you know, here we are. And, and there's, a, there's kind of a new interest to look at. We tell me that again. Where are we again? What's going to happen again? You know, we, we kind of look in and, and we see some crazy things here. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, notice which God now, gave there is entrusted or put in stewardship. The idea is God gave unto him. The reason that he gave it to him is to show unto his servants. Are you one of his servants? That's probably the first thing you need to consider seriously. To show unto his servants, the reason the revelation was given, show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. So here's John. Look, on the Isle of Patmos, John is the last eyewitness. When you said John, the whole church knew who you were talking about. If you said the elder, there was just one. The whole church knew who you were talking about. That was John. And John is alone. This is the man that pointed his finger when he was, John the Baptist pointed his finger and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was probably 16 or 17 years old. If this, and I believe it is, is 95 to 96 A.D., John is between 85 and 90 when the average lifespan of a male was 45 to 50 years old in this culture. John is ancient at this point in time. And he remembers. 
dropping his nets and following the Lord. He remembers the house of Jairus and his daughter being raised from the dead. He was in there. He remembers Jesus rebuking the wind and the sea. He remembers Peter walking in the water. He he remembers Gethsemane. He was there with the other three closer. You know, he remembers the crucifixion. He alone, we know for sure, was there when Jesus trusted Mary to him. The resurrection. He ran with Peter early that morning and first to get to the tomb and see what was going on. Meeting with Christ then for 40 days after the resurrection, hearing about the things of the kingdom. And he's there with the apostles in the first chapter of Acts when Jesus ascends. He watched him ascend. The angel said, yo, guys, what are you doing? Standing around gawking. Same Jesus is going to come back the same way. He's going to come back. He was there on Pentecost. He was there with Peter. You know, he, he moves into this. And now this revelation comes to him. This John. Again, alone. His brother James had been beheaded. And, and some of this was 50, 60 years before this. Matthias was eaten alive of vultures, tied down eaten of vultures. Jude Thaddeus was crucified and shot full of arrows. Nathaniel was skinned alive, then crucified. Philip was hanged. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was beheaded. James Alpheus uh, thrown off a roof. Thomas was impaled. Simon Zelotes was sawn in pieces. Mark, who wrote the gospel, was drugged behind a chariot until he was dead. Luke was crucified. Peter had been crucified upside down. And the most recent behind him, uh, Paul, the last, had been beheaded. All of them saw the risen Christ. All of them talked about the kingdom. All of them gave their lives. Not when they died. Years before that. They were already martyrs. They had already determined, this is how I'm going to live and this is what I'm going to live for. And how do you scare a guy like that? Somebody who hung out with Jesus after he came out of the tomb and walked around with a resurrected master for 40 days. It's hard to threaten somebody like that. Death ain't scary. I've seen that. I've been there. You know, I don't like the method I might go, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. So, so these men have passed off the scene. John is alone. And he wants to communicate hope to a new generation. And it is a time of persecution. It is a time when the government is picking on the church. Can you imagine that? It's a time when there's persecution, burning Bibles, you know, just, it, it, but it's worse. Listen, Paul and those men who said pray for those in authority, that was when Nero was on the throne. Nero, at nine years old, poisoned his father. Now, I'm not sure, we're not sure if he did it on purpose because his mom and his dad fought and the home was so bitter, this mom poisoned her husband's favorite dinner, and then gave it to Nero to give to his father. So we don't know if he was part and parcel, probably third degree, probably. But at 12 years old, he killed his best friend because he had embarrassed him. At 15 years old, he strangles his first wife, strangled her to death. At 16 years old, he stabs his second wife to death. At 17 years old, he kills his third wife. At 19 years old, he killed his mother. 
At 31 years old, he cut his own throat after Paul witnessed to him the second time. He, he reigned 54 to 64 A.D. They said he killed 3 million Christians. This is not a guy who's in prison. This is a guy who's in Washington. You know, this is a guy who's in the Kremlin. This is a guy who's in the House of Commons in England. This is a guy who's a legitimate political figure who's a lunatic and a maniac. He passes off the scene. Titus Vespasian comes on a little bit. And then Domitian comes to the front. Domitian was more brutal than Nero. You know, Paul said, pray for those in authority. That's when Nero was on the throne. Domitian killed more, was more brutal, and evidently heard about John. John, Eusebius, Tertullian, the church fathers tell us that John comes to Ephesus in 66 AD. Persecutions mounting in Jerusalem in 70 AD, it would be destroyed. And then he still has Mary, the Lord's mother, with him. And he comes to be the elder at Ephesus and oversee these seven churches, churches in Asia Minor that we're going to hear about. And he's there for almost 30 years. And Domitian finds out he's there and takes him and decides he wants to make a spectacle of him. So he takes him into this arena where all these people are and he lowers him into a big pot of boiling oil. That's tradition. Tertullian tells us about it. Lowers him into this big pot of boiling oil. You know you have those for your turkeys now? Imagine one of those for... You know, he, he, he lowers him in there, and John started to raise his hand, started to sing. And he didn't boil, because he was a friar. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. So then Domitian was freaked out by that, and he took John and put him on Patmos, which was an island with a quarry. He's there, alone, on Patmos. And as he's there, this angel comes and starts to, and then Jesus Christ himself appears. And John said, it's come, and it's come to his servants because there are things that are going to shortly come to pass. Now, of course, anybody sits around and said, oh, yeah, shortly? That was 2,000 years ago. wasn't short. And, you know, the New Testament church lived in expectation of Christ's return. They didn't use the same jargon we do. They didn't talk about a pre-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation. But what they did was they believed that Jesus was coming any day, which, of course, was pre-trib. I mean, they, they expected him. In fact, the word here that he would shortly come, entaxia, what it does doesn't speak of soonness. It talks of rapidity of fulfillment once it begins. We get the word tachometer from that. That measures your acceleration. And what it says, these things, when they start, are going to be so serious, they have to come to a quick conclusion. Jesus said that if he wouldn't return when he did, there would be no flesh left upon the earth. And we're headed into, we're not in, we're headed towards those days, for sure. For sure. So these are things which are shortly going to come to pass. Listen, this is, the, this is the early church, and I think it's important for us to understand this. 
Um, go over a few verses with you. And we don't think about it. And look, by the way, there's way more. You just when If I was you, when you read through the New Testament, I would just mark any place where you see this kind of brought before you. We have Luke where it says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, this is Jesus speaking, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and shall make them to sit down at meat and he will come forth and serve them. He says, and this know that if the good men of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready for the son of man cometh at an hour you think not. This is Luke. This is New Testament. Okay, Jesus in John 14 says, You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I'd have told you. But lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There's no date on that. It's the imminent return in John's gospel. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says this, speaking of Jesus, By whom also... We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Not only do we stand in God's grace, but we rejoice in the hope of glory. That's writing to the Romans that that is, you know, that is our hope. In Romans chapter 8, he says this. He says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting, it means waiting expectantly for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. First Corinthians chapter 1 says this, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting, and that's waiting expectantly for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians, you know, you go in Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells the single men, stay single because the Lord is coming. I just, you know, if you get married, then you got to worry about the, taking care of your wife. If you stay single, then you just, if, if the church had listened to him, it would have been exterminated in the first century. It never re- reproduced. But Paul said he was expecting the Lord to come in his day. The last chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says, Maranatha. This is a bumper stickers. Please take them. Maranatha. And actually an Aramaic form, but it means the Lord has come, the Lord is coming, the Lord will come. It embraces all of that. Agreeing. When, look, when they came to church and saw each other, they didn't say hi. They said, Maranatha. The Lord is coming. You know, somebody here is backslidden, that'd be good. When you see them say, Maranatha. <laughs> I'm just joking. Don't be a Pharisee. Uh, not all the time. When they left the church, instead of saying goodbye, they said, Maranatha. Just healthy, good, thinking about the Lord's return. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, talks about our expectation when it says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look, again, expectantly, for the Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, um, according to the working whereby 
he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. First Thessalonians chapter 1 says that they had turned from idols to worship the true and the living God. And I'll read it to you here. He says, um, for they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had with you, how that you have turned to God from idols to serve the, the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which has already delivered us from the wrath to come. To wait for his son. In fact, the, the Greek there means to wait up. To, to go sleepless, to wait up. Any of you who have teenagers, you've done that. To wait up for someone to come back, you know. And, and it's telling us the church, the early church, lived like that. Second Thessalonians, I implore you, by our gathering together unto him. First Timothy chapter 6 says this. I gave thee, Paul talking to Timothy, charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul expected Timothy to see the return of the Lord. Paul, again, himself in First Thessalonians said, Then we which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the earth. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul expected Jesus in his own lifetime. Titus tells us about the blessed hope, you know, that we have. He says there, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for... That blessed hope, that's where we get the the term blessed hope from Titus chapter 2. Looking for, and it's expectantly, and it's present imperative, continually looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews um, tells us this. In chapter 9, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them who look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Unto those who are expectantly looking for him to come. James chapter 5 tells us the same thing, you know, that, that the Lord is at hand. It means his presence is eminent. 1 Peter 1.13.4.7 speaks about the Lord coming at any moment, being at hand. We just finished Jude 20, Jude 21. Tells us the same thing. And of course we get the revelation. It tells us here in chapter 1, then chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 22, verses 7, 12, and 20. I come quickly. So the point in all this is, I know, look, the point in all of this is, is that the early church lived in expectation of the return of Christ. That's what Jesus has always wanted. He didn't say he was coming soon. He said when these things begin, they have to come to a quick conclusion. Once they begin, they have to come to a quick conclusion. That's the idea of him coming shortly. The idea is it will, it will, the pace of that must speed up. And it says he's come to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Remember Daniel, 
was told by the Lord, seal up the things that are written in the book for the time of the end. Revelation 22 says, do not seal up. So things that were not seen then are brought before us here. These revelation, this unveiling is given to him to show things to us, signified by his angel unto his servant John. Signified is an important word because, look, one of the big arguments about the book of Revelation is how do we interpret it? Now, we interpret it the correct way, by the way. But there's preterist, there's ah mill, there's historical interpretation where they say everything has already been fulfilled. Uh, there is interpretation of those who don't believe in the kingdom age is coming, so they mess everything up. Uh, there's those, more importantly, who say everything's symbolic. None of this really means it. And then they can interpret it however they want to. Yeah, there's symbolism in the book, but it's not interpreted symbolically. We're not told that anywhere. We are literalists. We believe this is a literal book from a literal God to literal people. We are futurists in the way we interpret it. We believe these things are still coming to pass and will come to pass. And he, and he tells us here, he, said, he, he says, Blessed are those who read, blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep those things which are written in this prophecy. There's a prophecy here brought before us. So he tells us these things are to be brought out to the ocean, open. They're to be signified. Now look, don't take them in the ocean. Just listen to me. <laughs> signified means to be a sign, a miracle, a wonder, a symbol. But again, not all symbolic. As we journey through, and you can look at these things on your own, we're going to find out, John says, I heard 28 times. I saw 49 times. Talks about heaven and earth 17 times. He, he describes 44 visions. He talks about something being like or in the likeness of 22 times. He tells us something is as this or as that 65 times. He says, behold, 30 times. He talks of the great, the great whore, the great this 84 times. He uses seven, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven, you know, seven, he's going to talk about sevens 54 times. He's going to talk about angels 74 times. He's going to talk about the sea 26 times. And then he's going to use the word and over 1,200 times. That's called a polysyndeton when you keep using the word. The whole book is a narrative. It's not, an, it's not epistolatory. It's a narrative. And the word and ties the whole book together. And, 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 and. It's just over 1,200 times. As it takes you through and you look at that. Now, the interesting thing to me, though, as I go through and name all of those things that happen multiple times the book calls Jesus the Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19 as he returns. And you'll take note there in your Bible, whatever translation you have, it's all capitals. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All capitals. This will be more important as we go forward, but I'm going to say this now. About 230 manuscripts used to bring the book of Revelation together. Uh, it's not even in Vaticanus. Uh, uh, Revelation, but it's in Sinaiticus and Alexandrinus, 
It's an Ethiopic paraphrase. Um, Sinaiticus, 4th century. Alexandrinus, 5th century. Uh, Ephraimatus is the 5th century. Then it's in four of the Greek, the Egyptian papyra. Only P47 has the, the biggest part of it. The rest is fragmentary. And then after you're done with the unseals, all the minuscules from the 10th to the 16th century, there's several hundred of those. When the United Bible Society worked through all of them and examined all of them, they felt that only 90 to 93 were trustworthy, and that's where we have the book of Revelation today. But it's a lot of witnesses, but that gives us the book that we have today. Every single manuscript said King of Kings and Lord of Lords in all capital letters. Everyone across the board agreed. And the interesting thing to me is this. Jesus... His favorite name for himself, it was, if it was you or I, our favorite name would be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Put that in caps. Um, but it isn't. His favorite name for himself through the book of Revelation 28 times is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The first time we see him in chapter 5, it's even a diminutive form, the little Lamb of God, with the marks of slaughter upon him. You know, Jesus said, do this and remember to me as often as you break this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth my death till I come. Here in the book of Revelation, and it's an unveiling of Jesus, who he is, relationship, all these different things, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, no doubt, through the centuries, all capitalized. His favorite name, the Lamb of God. Aren't you glad? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is given to John, it says, who bear record. We've got the verse two already. Who, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus. <clears throat> Notice all things that he saw. <clears throat> he bore a record of the word of God. It's going to tell us in verse nine, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Now he says, I was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. Certainly there, he was in the isle of Patmos because of the scripture, the word of God. Because he hadn't written yet, the revelation hadn't come. Here in verse 2, when he says that, that the, the word of God, who bear record to the word of God... It's certainly the scripture, but it is more specifically this book that we're reading that was given to him about these things. And verse 3 then says this. Listen. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. Blessed is he that reads. That's singular. <clears throat> Weiss, the Greek scholar from Moody, says, Blessed is he that readeth in the congregation of the church. That's me. I'm blessed this morning. Look, this is the only book in the Bible that gives this promise. And by the way, it's the first of seven Beatitudes in the book. Like, you know, the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are those... 
in this book as well. And this is the first of a long list of them. You'll find in 14, 13, 16, 15, 19, verse 9, 20, verse 6, 22, verses 7 and 14 are the rest of those blessed. Just so on the, you can listen to it now. It's on the app. You go through those. Those are the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. But this is the first one. Only book in the Bible that says, Blessed is the one singular who reads. Blessed are they, plural, who hear. And blessed are all those who then keep the things that are written. Look, early church, they didn't have printing presses. They, didn't have, they weren't running off Bibles arguing about, the, you know, when, when John comes with this revelation back to Ephesus, and evidently after being there 30 years, then on Patmos he went back and died at Ephesus. But then certainly this letter went to the seven churches, which are addressed in this letter. It went to other churches. And when it got there, what happened was the elder, the pastor of the church, would stand publicly and read it out loud. Imagine that. We're in the third verse. Imagine if I did all 22 verses this morning, this week. So there was a blessing on the one who stood publicly and read the book of Revelation. There was a blessing on those who sat and listened to it. They, They couldn't go home and read it. They couldn't get a commentary on it. They sat and listened, and they listened intently. If you ever have the chance to study the memorization that took place in that age, it would blow your mind. Socrates once, with like 200 students in his class, asked all of their names. One one, they told him his names. Then he repeated the list from the last one back to the first one without a mistake. Because memory was so important. It was more than written learning. It was audible learning. And people learn from the time they were a kid to listen. So blessed is he that reads. That's me. I'm getting blessed right now. Blessed are those who hear, whether you like it or not. You're getting blessed. I don't feel blessed. doesn't matter. It's either you or Jesus, I believe. Blessed are those who hear. And then look. Blessed are those who keep or guard embrace the things that they've heard. Look, in the day that we're living in, how precious should these things be? You know, we're coming back to Revelation. The context we're studying in this time is so interesting because the world is disintegrating around us. And the Lamb of God is still reaching to this generation. He's reaching to Black Lives Matter. He's reaching to Antifa. He's reaching to Washington. He's reaching to Russia. He's reaching to Iran. He's He's still the Lamb of God that God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever would believe would not have perished, have everlasting life. But for you and I, there's a blessing. Now look, think about our input. What's our input? Think about social media. Think of the things that, you know, that, that flood us were choking with input from all different directions. I don't think all that blesses us. We can know for sure here, it says, blessed is he that reads. That's singular, so you're not going to probably do what I do, but I go home and read it singular this week by yourself. Just read through. Blessed are those who hear. And then blessed are those who, who keep, who let these truths be a compass in their life. Show them how to live in the days that we're living in. That, that's huge. It isn't just, you know, because when you hear, you don't just hear with your ears in the Bible ever. You hear with your heart as well. 
So blessed is the person who's reading it. Here we are this morning. Blessed are those who are hearing. And then blessed are those who, who, who treasure these things, who keep them, who guard them, who garrison, who take them and embrace them. We have all different sources of information around us. I, I know. I, I, I watch the news sometimes. It makes me crazy. I can't even watch it anymore. I have to take a break once in a while. And you just turn it on two days later, and it's in the same place it was when you turn it off. So I just put the cooking channel on. I'm learning something there. <clears throat> but you, you go to Revelation in the days that we're living in. Read it. Bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. You hear me? Bring your Bibles. See somebody next you, next week next to you without a Bible, slap them and say, where's your Bible? Don't you, don't you listen? You know, it doesn't say don't use mobile devices, but I'll tell you this. If you do all your, your Bible work on a mobile device, just one good solar flare, you ain't going to have nothing. This is not going to go out. This is still going to work without signals. Whether the signals this gets is from a different, you know, transmitter than uh, everything else. Have your Bibles. Know where it is on the page. You know, I know my Bible well enough. When it wears out, I get the same Bible. Because I don't know every chapter and every verse, but I know where everything is on the page. I, I, I remember this is in Isaiah, and it's up in this right corner, or it's up in the bottom left. I know where to find, I know how to use my, my sword. I know where things are. So bring your Bibles as we study through. Look. That way, if I tell you, let's go in the parking lot and wait for the mothership, <laughs> you can tar and feather me, right? Paul said the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scripture to see if the things he was saying were true. You don't bring your Bibles and you listen through this. This is some of the strangest visions and pictures and illustrations you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. You need to make sure I ain't making stuff up. And I'll be looking to see who's got their Bible next week. It's a good thing to have. Bring your Bible. Are we in this together? Okay, read ahead. If the rapture doesn't happen, we'll, we'll be, we'll be mo moving on to chapter 1. Incredible things there. Let's study this together. I think we can enjoy it together. I think it will give us perspective all week and perspective in our lives. And let's ask Jesus to be gracious and help us to keep these things. That we would be living, you know, the way we want to be living when he comes. Spurgeon used to say, are you living like you're going to want to die when the time to die comes? You know, I remember years ago, Mother Teresa and Princess Di died in the same week. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people want to live like Princess Di and die like Mother Teresa. It doesn't work that way. Mother Teresa died with about two bucks you know, I don't. Th I think she was a misbeliever, not a disbeliever. She she poured out her life for Jesus. I believe that. Cared for the less fortunate. They said she should have died long before that. Her heart was so bad. But the, but, you know, virologists and research and all these people tell us if you're living to take care of orphans and other people, your T cells function more highly when you're giving yourself away. Then you had Princess Di, royal jewels. 
you know, everything, everything. And right on the other side of that, what did they have? What did they have? And I said, Lord, you're speaking to us. How could you keep this old gal alive all this time and save her for the same week when this other one departs? And let us watch them both on the news at the same time. So don't think you're going to live like Princess Di and die like Mother Teresa. Ain't going to happen, right? Let's let this govern our lives. Let's read it together. Pray for me. The warfare is going to be fun through this one. And uh, let's stand together. Let's pray. The musicians will come. We'll sing a last song together. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord. And this book of Revelation, Lord, so many people, unsaved people, are interested in it, Lord. Uh, I remember, Lord, uh, being interested when I was in the world, Lord, before I came to you, just Revelation and Lord, we, we, we are fascinated, but we don't want that to be the, the epicenter of our approach here. We want to hear you speaking to us, Lord. We want to bring our lives in greater alignment with your will in these last days. We want the prophecies and the images and the things you bring before us to just plant certainty in our hearts, to be a rock we can build our lives upon. And Lord, we would ask you would make us contagious. In these last days, we know we can't give somebody the measles unless we got it. Can't give somebody COVID unless we have it. So, Father, let the love of Christ be shed abroad from our hearts, Lord. Let us be contagious for our master. Father, we trust you to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.